Hello and welcome to this episode of Sligo Sounds Podcast. I'd first like to thank Charlie Long in Rumble Rehearsal Studios for allowing me to record on his premises. If you're looking for a place to practice or just to get together with some old mates, it's definitely the place to go for any budding musicians. Thanks very much, Charlie. In this episode, I talked to Simon Hunt. Simon Hunt is well known for playing drums in Sligo Band Indian. He also played in another band based in Dublin called Those Gorgeous Colours. In this episode, we actually talk about his love of George Clinton, uh, the Sligo Jazz Festival, and we also talk about Queen. Also, the name of the episode, It's Okay to Cry, originated from. So, without further ado, here we go. Hello, Simon. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to this episode of Sligo Sounds Podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, I first of all just wanted to ask you about, uh, in terms of origins, it sounds so epic, about how you became a drummer. Like, did you do lessons or did you pick it up from someone or...? I, I kind of became a drummer without even realising it. I kind of, uh, I didn't get lessons <clears throat> at all when I was a kid. I, I kind of locked myself in my room with a pair of knit needles and a pillow. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why I suddenly had suddenly had this urge to to beat things with sticks. But I just found myself just kind of playing along to like tapes and and um, as I got older, then as as I became like a teenager, I got really into metal. And like you know, I, I used to watch videos and I'd see drummers on TV. And that's when I started like because I used to just like two hands. I just used to beat along. It was just for fun. Yeah. I wasn't trying to learn anything. And. I realized that oh wait they're using their feet as well there and oh oh what's that noise that's that that's oh that's the hi hat being let oh okay yeah and I used to kind of see all this and then hear it on the tapes like and 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 so I used to practice along and because I was a metal fan because the stuff was fast I, I kind of built up speed quite a quite a bit as well <laughs> quite quite quickly um, and yeah that's how I became a drummer so by the time I was like I think I was like eighteen I was repeating my leaving cert. And we, I'd, I'd met a couple of guys that were repeated because, you know, my friends had, had moved away to go to college or whatever mm. and I was repeating. So um, I met a couple of guys, Gavin McGuinness, Shango Martin, um, and um, uh, Shane McGoldrick. And um, we got together to form a band. But I was the singer because we wanted to enter the talent contest. Okay. And Adrian Powell was, was, I think, initially our singer. I think we had done a couple of rehearsals with him. But he wasn't a student there, so he couldn't take part. Really loud, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I said I'd be... No, sorry, he was our drummer, was it? Was that what? No, I can't remember now it was. Somebody, whoever was the drummer couldn't do it, I think. That was it. And um, I said, kind of cockily one day in rehearsal, sure, I'll do it. And Gavin kind of looked at me like pretty much like you just want to sit behind the you just want to like you know you've never played drums in your life before and you want to because I kind of felt quite confident that I could do it yeah and I got in behind the drums and and he kind of just kind of disparaged and he said what do you want to do and I just said yeah whatever you want so he said right smells like Teen Spirit and I nailed it wow. and he wouldn't <laughs> believe he wouldn't believe that um, I had never drummed on a real kit before until like five years later because I was so adamant about it yeah, that he, that's great vis visualization it's <laughs> it, it's the one instrument that you can kind of like learn if you like because I had like it got to the point where I had like this toy chest that I used to have when I was a kid that was full of old toys and stuff mm. 
So that was kind of higher than the bed. So I used to use the bed as the stool and then I used to use the chest as the drums. So I knew where each tom was and you know the hi-hat and, and like I, I had the places marked out. So I was kind of like playing a drum kit really and I was yeah. just banging my foot on the ground for bass, drum and hi-hat. And it's interesting because I, I saw, I was a massive Queen fan, still am a massive Queen fan. And it's very interesting because I saw a classic albums recently with Queen and Roger Taylor was talking about the little kind of um, the little stylistic kind of quirks he has and they're my quirks and I realised I must have picked them off him yeah. and I didn't like you know he opens the hi-hat when he hits the snare to make it fatter and I was like oh, that's where I got that from you know that's pretty good. What was what was the kit, or what what actually? Well, I suppose that was your first kit. Yeah. In terms of, can you remember what it was? Was it a Zildjian or Tana, <laughs> at that stage? I wasn't even thinking about makes of drums, or and mm. I, I think to this day because of that, that that's kind of one of the disadvantages of not getting lessons and not having someone that's into drums to be mm. kind of like a guiding force. I'm still not very technically minded. When it comes to my instruments, I'm terrible. Mm -hmm. Like I sometimes forget the size of my drums. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, remember, like, I remember having a, I, was, I remember a, uh, Tonto asking me uh, one day, you know, oh, oh you're you're good. What's the size? Of? I was like, oh, it's a thirteen. And he goes, no, no, you can't. There's no such thing as a sixteen tom or whatever. And I was like, right, yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe it's not. So yeah, I'm t I'm desperate. Like I like I I I know. What I like, you know, I, like I listen to drummers, and I know I hear the sound that I like, and I try mm. and copy that. Yeah, so I guess it's kind of like a primal thing in terms of for yourself. Like it, it's the instinct thing rather than actually, like you didn't go to lessons in terms of that. So I guess yeah. you hear something, you want to play it, and it feels good in terms, you know, exactly. That That's kind of it. Was more that yeah, and and like I was never like I never bought like the drum magazines or like you know got into like what kind of hardware or like you know. All these, like, which is, it is a disadvantage in mm. fairness because when you want to go, for example, and you want to buy a cymbal, yeah. I don't have the terminology to say, like, you know, um, oh, could this be a little ringier or a little crisper? Because like, I know now kind of what a lot of those terms mean, but like, I didn't yeah. when I was buying, like, equipment. Queenie sound. Can I just get a Queenie <laughs> yeah, Exactly, yeah. yeah. Can I get a Roger Taylor cymbal, please? Was that in your family then, I guess? Musically? Yeah, my family are, are quite musical. Like, mm. my brother Joe, a lot of people would know from singing. Uh, with lots of bands, um, particularly Indian. Mm. Um, my parents are big into music. My mother actually set up a band um, with my brothers, with my brother and my two sisters, and entered them into the, like the fashions and stuff. Like that was like Joseph's first band. It was like some mm. band called Harmony, and they used to do basically rollers covers. Yeah, and they used to sing Harmony, and they're like, amazing Harmony singers. Like mm. if you ever get my my two sisters, Angela and Maria. And Joseph, when they sing harmony together, is just beautiful. Instinct as well, I guess. <clears throat> Instinct as well. It's the family thing as well. When you have that blend of voices yeah. that are like really close together, it's, yeah. it's, it's really cool. My dad loves singing. Uh, my mother my mother and father would both like be mad into singing, mad into music. My mother was big, you know, Patsy Cline and um, oh, uh, Maisie McDaniels fan. Maisie McDaniels was her neighbour in Garavogue. Cool. <clears throat> So, like, you know, all of these things that I used to kind of dismiss when I was younger that I'm getting into now, you know. Yeah, um, yeah it always comes around. Always does, yeah, yeah. 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 Circle yeah. kind of thing. Um, what, was, what was the name of the band in the talent competition? 
<laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> it was yeah. Everybody's was, waiting for the answers. So, and where a, did you where did you end up in terms of did you win it or did you? We didn't. No, we made an absolute disgrace for ourselves. Uh, Len the drummer. Yeah. <laughs> no, <I don't>, yeah. <laughs> um, the name of the band at the talent contest was Cadbury's Cul-de-Sac. Okay. And okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we we decided it would be a great idea for some reason we were in my house we had a we have an attic in, in our in our family home our old family home mm. that's full of old clothes from the 70s and we decided it'd be a fantastic idea just to dress up in like these good as like flares and flowery shirts <laughs> and then my mum was had a hat hire business and we wore, we brought women's hats and wore women's hats we thought it'd be great it'd be gas crack it'd be funny <laughs> but because we were so bad that just added to how bad it was again yeah. Uh, and it was, it was like, yeah, I think uh, we, we started the show by, I think Shane Martin jumped off the drum riser to make a real kind of Joe Strummer punk entrance yeah. and ended up kicking Gavin's lead out. <laughs> so we had to stop and start again. Okay. So it was just downhill from there. <laughs> Any videos of that? Or? Apparently there is. Okay. But we... we uh, Deleted them. <laughs> I, I, somebody has them because okay. my brother has seen them. All but right. I don't know if like there's full performances because could be just clips of it, yeah. Yeah, the film was dear back then, and, mm. and like, there was a call put out in Sligo Heritage there recently for it. And, I'd like uh, to see that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any information on that? Because like that yeah. would have been the year that the the Mulligans done it. Um, That's r- yeah, yeah. With um, Porrick and and uh, Fergal singing as well. Yeah. Um, that was a great year. Yeah, Fiction would have done it. They weren't called Fiction at the time. No. But that was the bands that were around at the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, that was yeah. Those talent competitions were really good. They were great. Yeah, we were in it the year after. Okay. The name of our band was Green Electric Mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, and there is a video of that. Okay. There, there was a video of that. Right. So there actually was a full video with Mr. Oh, wow. Paddy Curley doing the MC, and, and I think he might have MC that night as well. I'm not sure. Yeah, God, I can't remember. So, yeah. Like that was so long ago. I couldn't even remember. The, like. Because I played with another band that night and, and forgot who it was until so I like, I until, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I didn't remember who I played with until yeah. Dwayne Gallagher reminded me it was him and, and Killian Gordon and Caleb. That's um, right, yeah. I stood in for their drummer, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's a lifetime ago. Yeah. So anyway, was there any other instruments <clears throat> that you played or any interest in other instruments? Yeah, I really wanted to play guitar. Mm. Like, even when I was bashing about with knitting needles, I really wanted to play guitar. But it wasn't until I moved to Letterkenny uh, to go to college, mm. uh, and I kind of shacked up with six other lads in this big house. One of the guys there, Pat Kenny, he had a guitar, and he kind of taught me a few chords, and I took it up really quickly because my right hand was sorted for rhythm. Mm. My right yeah. hand wasn't an issue at all, so I just had to work on the left hand really in the chords. I kind of got to a point where I could like sing like Neil Young songs and and you know impress girls at parties and stuff like. And, yep. That's kind of where I stagnated at yeah. that level. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until actually, like about two or, well, about four years ago, before I left Dublin, I got guitar lessons with a guy called Kane Nugent, who was mm. a couple of albums out. He taught me finger picking style, which I got really into because mm. it's about coordination and rhythm as well, which kind of suited me as a drummer. It would be very relatable to drums, wouldn't it? It would kind of, yeah. Getting the technique and kind of pressure and. Yeah, that kind of thing in terms of especially with the like you know like using the thumb as the rhythm, as the kind of the, the bass and, and then the, the three two or three fingers for the, for the melody. So mm. it was like I, I I got into it because it was about kind of you know trying to master that kind of coordination 
which is what a lot of drumming is about as well. Yeah. What bands are you involved in, or what bands were you involved in? I mean, during from from the height <laughs> of the talent competition. So yeah, the, the Cadbury's cul-de-sac became <laughs> the guitars for for one okay. for one epic gig in the Weir. Uh, the Weir. Yeah. And then I left Sligo. Um, and I was in like a few bands in, in Letterkenny with friends, I, but I never really took drumming seriously. I never really kind of took music as a career seriously. And I guess because nobody did. Yeah. You, there was no such thing as Music Generation Sligo back then. That's true. There was no music classes. Actually, we did have, there was one music class that I remember in Summerhill, which, which consisted of a, a priest playing classical music, like opera and classical and and dismissing all of our kind of uh, Guns N' Roses requests. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, that was the kind of level of, you know, there, there was no kind of, we didn't have people like you or, you know, Eddie Lee or Ken McDonald's mm. that like bring a huge positive kind of, you know, force to music. And like, you know, we just had loads of people saying, no, music's great, but make sure you have a trade behind yeah. you kind of thing, English. you know. Honours English. <clears throat> and, yeah. yeah. So... For years and years, I didn't take it seriously. I ended up then playing with a band called Boxty from Bundorn, um, and that was great fun. Ended up going on a European tour with them, um, and that was for about two years. Um, so they were kind of like a blues rock band. A lot of people would know Boxty mm. from Rens Yeah. Um, <clears throat> then again, I kind of, again, like, I. I never really, I was never kind of 100% full on, oh, I must find another band now. I just, I just kind of lapsed and didn't really play again until years later when I was in Dublin. And I met this guy called Phil O'Gorman, who um, was looking for a drummer for their band, The Gorgeous Colours, who mm. released an album in 2008. But unbeknownst to me at the time, they'd been looking for a drummer for ages and they tried loads of guys and just couldn't get it. And they were like on the verge of like just calling it a day. Wow. And I, I actually said no at the start, and then he, eventually he persuaded me to join. There was just something in the back of my head that just kept going, I might just get in touch with Phil. And, and, and I was so glad I did, because it was, I, I joined the Gorgeous Colours for about three years, and it was, it was a really great experience, because up until then I'd played in a lot of covers bands, and a lot of bands were like Boxty, which was kind of some covers, and then a lot of their own stuff as well, but mm. like was kind of already written, so I was yeah. really involved in the creative process. So that was the first time I actually got into a band where we were actually making music together and everyone was involved in the process. And that was a real eye-opener for me and a real enjoyable experience. Mm. And that really gave me the bug again. Um, we released a couple of EPs and a couple of singles. Then after The Gorgeous Colours, I moved home to Sligo. And my brother Joseph asked me if I wanted to come to a couple of Indian rehearsals, which I jumped at because mm. I was obviously... You knew the songs. I knew, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like, all, like I was a huge Indian fan yeah. as well. Yeah. So I, I went to a rehearsal and sat in on drums. And because in the old days, Indian never had a drummer; they had a drum machine. Mm. And a big, a huge part of the Indian sound was Joe and Christy singing together, because Christy's voice is almost as recognizable as Joe's in the Indian mm -hmm. sound, you know. And it's really, you really miss it when it's not there. And he wasn't able to sing as much when he was drumming, so. Mm. That was the reason they kind of asked if I'd come and sit in. And so Christy's gone mm. front of stage now and singing a bit more and yeah. I'm on drums and, and that's been hugely enjoyable. Yeah. Playing big gigs in the Hawkswell, which is which I'd never get the opportunity to do with any other bands, you know. That's been 
that's been great really yeah. and, and playing with Joe as well has been yeah been deadly. that's really cool uh, like in terms of, like you were talking there <coughs> with uh, gorgeous colors and Indian how would you come up with a, a pace of original music in terms of drums because I've talked to some other people in previous episodes about guitar and singing and you know kind of stuff like that like how yeah. to do that so how would you come up in terms of drums would that be would it be through rehearsals you kind of come up with some beats now I, that sounds very basic <laughs> saying that I'm sorry or would it be um inspired by the vocals or even lyrics or guitar or yeah there would be a few different like there'd be with the gorgeous colors in particular sometimes somebody would come with a demo that would already have like a beat that they've made and sometimes it'll really suit the song mm. and I'll just try and copy that on drums or I'll add my own kind of little spin to it. Then there's other times where the demo's not so defined and you get into the rehearsal space and you hash it out a little bit. Mm. You try a few different things and then there was a couple of songs that just kind of happened on the spot yeah. from just jamming, from just playing around. So there's kind of a few different approaches and like sometimes you will literally just go in and play a beat in rehearsal and somebody will turn around and go, what's that? Mm. And they'll play a lot of the guitar line that goes really well with it, you know, and, and all of a sudden it's a song or the bones of a song, at least, you know, there were a few different approaches. Sometimes other people would come and say, no, I want you to play this, you know, the guitar player would say, no, I want you to play that mm. this way or kind of lots of different ways that it was approached. You yeah. Know? yeah. Who inspires you musically <laughs> or what inspires you? <clears throat> inspires me. Jesus. Lots of things. Um, I have a very eclectic taste of music. Um, as most music lovers do, I think, yeah. in fairness. <laughs> so what inspires me? I guess musically. Like. Musically, when I was growing up, definitely, like, Roger Taylor from Queen was, like, you know, I was picking up, you know, little habits, little habits yeah. and not even realising it because I was just drumming along to him all the time. So, yeah, Roger Taylor and Queen, huge influence. When I got into Led Zeppelin then as well, listening to John Bonham, was like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got into, like, kind of more experimental because so like after like Led Zeppelin and getting into the Beatles and the Stones I started getting into like more alternative stuff like like Krautrock from the 70s like Can and drummers like Jackie Liebzeit mm. and uh, kind of really interested by what they were doing because it wasn't the flashy stuff that like Bonham and Taylor was doing yeah. but they were amazing drummers but they would like keep it simple and mm. that was that was really interesting so things like that really inspired me as a drummer as a musician or as uh, musically, I guess, my main heroes would be Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys, Total Beach Boys Freak, mm-hmm. George Clinton. Uh, I, I got into a massive Parliament Funkadelic hole uh, in the kind of 2000s, just collecting their records, watching live videos. Massive George Clinton fan. I think the guy's an absolute genius. I got into a lot of funk, actually, around that time. Got mad into funk, but, but then I, I, I tend to veer from... Um, like I listen to a lot, all types of music all the time but I tend to kind of these little black holes of certain genres so your safe place yeah so <laughs> well well just kind of like you know oh I want to find more of this so like funk was was a big one I got into that for free like I still love funk mm. that's kind of fed into fed into me being a DJ as well trad and, and, and folk as well I got into a massive trad folk hole where I started looking for like you know Planks D Bothy Band Kevin Burke just like finding these like records and stuff so yeah a lot of influences and like i collect records as well like i'm big into vinyl so finding kind of records like especially you know you go into a record store you go to a car boot sale you find these records 
that'll be pretty cheap. Mm. But you'd never think of buying on CD. You'd see it in the CD shop and you'd go, what the hell is that? Yeah. But you'd find, it, you'd find it digging for records and go, this looks interesting, what's this? And you, you suddenly you're in this, oh, what the hell? Oh, my yeah. God, I have to find more <laughs> of this. What is yeah. this? So, yeah, inspiration comes from all kinds of different. But, yeah, my, those would be my two main guys, I think. Brian Wilson and George Clinton. There's probably a few more as well. Queen as well, obviously. Um, okay. Yeah, so that, that goes on to this question. If you could play with a band or an artist, any, anybody really, uh, what one song would you want to play with them live? Oh, wow. Dead or Alive? Dead or, okay, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He might have had a band. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's a, that's a good one. That's a good question. It's a hard one then. It's a tough one. I'd, I'd say, like I'll probably come up with 10 different answers when I, I know. after this interview, but for the sake of just answering now, I, w- I would say Parliament Funkadelic as for what song. And the reason being as well, I don't know if you've ever seen like a Parliament Funkadelic show live. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it looks like the greatest fun anyone's ever greatest had in their life. Ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, New Year's Eve every time. Yeah, yeah. crazy. Yeah. So yeah, what song though? I, they have a song called Do That Stuff. I don't know. It's just, it's off the top of my head. I think the reason that I'm saying that is because it's always a song I have in my head. And the drums are always in my head. Mm. Especially, there's a version they do in, in um, there's a DVD they have of them live in Texas in 75. A do version of Do That Stuff where the drums are just crazy. They're just amazing. Cool. Um, yeah. So there you go. All right. Um, so uh, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask as well. Um, in terms of the recording process, um, as a drummer, I mean, how how do you set up in terms? Because you have recorded with those go those gorgeous guys, <laughs> and um, and with Indian. Yeah. So how would you set up in terms? I mean, if if somebody's listening for the first time and is wondering how do you even go into a studio, I mean, what do you use? Yeah. You, like I, not even about equipment, <clears throat> but just in terms of what would be used in terms of in a studio. I would leave that completely up to the engineer and producer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Yeah, yeah. totally. Because yeah. uh, like relating back to my lack of technical... Okay. Uh, a, uh, bring a drum kit. That's, bring a drum yeah. kit, exactly. <laughs> I bring my drum kit, I make sure it's tuned properly. Yeah, I've been through kind of different recording processes. Like the recording process is, is quite interesting when you're, when you're in a band. Do you use click track or do you use like a vocal guide? In the Gorgeous Colors, we did use a click track because we wanted to do overdubs. Gorgeous Colors, for example, we recorded the EP in kind of different places. I think one track was actually recorded with the old drummer before me. Okay. There was another one done in a place called The Cauldron. I can't remember where the other was done, but it was just when you're in a band and you're, you've also got a full-time job and you haven't got a lot of money, it's just kind of take what you can get, in Dublin especially. Mm-hmm. But we went from that, we, 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 we actually started recording an album where we, we had the run of this kind of theatre. It was, it was actually in the grounds of someone's house. And they were mad into drama, so they had a theater like a it was called, I think it was called was it called a Red Barn or something. Wow, beautiful, like fully functioning theater because they had a sound desk in there which mm. we used for recording, and um, they used to put shows on there every year. And so we had two weeks of kind of living in, in the grounds of this house, which was a massive difference to like recording the EPs and singles which were done in like either cold rehearsal studios or yeah. or really expensive recording studios. Um, so did, that, did that help in terms of like was it easier to do that or was it well we had a lot of the, the, the kind of arranging done before we went in okay so we knew what we wanted the songs to sound like mostly okay. I think we recorded about 70% of the album 
um, in that two weeks. So wow. it, it was pretty. Yeah. It was pretty great. It was. It was the first time I can remember. We were sitting in like this orchard that had an orchard as well. <laughs> we, were <laughs> we were sitting in this orchard. With, it was like the two hottest weeks of that summer, uh, and just kind of like somebody like Jeff was in doing his vocal overdubs or something. We were just sitting there going, "This, this is what it's about, lads. This is what it should be about." Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, like I would definitely leave the kind of setup. And like mic placements, all that kind of thing, I wouldn't have a clue. Okay. I wouldn't have a clue, but we would, the recording process, we recorded live, but with a click track. So I had a click track um, in my ears, mm. but nobody else did. So Okay, so you were keeping the, the So time. I was keeping the time, yeah. and the lads were playing along with me live. So the kind of, the guts of the song, like the bass, drums, guitar, was all recorded live with a click. Wow. And then overdose. Doesn't happen that often in yeah. terms of you know, obviously you have the ease of Pro Tools and all those other programs that you Yeah. I mean I think I still think even the fact that you hear some of the Zeppelin stuff was recorded in one take. Yeah. You know, and you kinda of go, how it, the passion, the kind of fire is there just from that one take that they Yeah. Sometimes I, it's better to do that. But um, yeah. it's also terrifying. It's like yeah. I think, you know, it's 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 if, if you're a band, like I, I remember seeing, um, there's a video on YouTube somewhere of Brian May and an engineer going through Bohemian Rhapsody and he plays the basic track, which was, I think, piano, mm. rhythm guitar, bass, vo um, and you can hear Freddie in the background with a kind of a guide vocal. And he's playing and it's so tight, like it's ridiculously tight. And they're not using a click track. It's it's just Freddie and the lads setting the tempo. It's and like, But like, they have the... They have the luxury at, th at that point anyway, because like this is night at the opera stage, yeah. 1975. They have the luxury of being a band for years and years, rehearsing all the time. It's yeah. their full-time job. But with the gorgeous colors, like we had rehearsals for like maybe, maybe once, twice a week in in the winter in a, in a cold rehearsal, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, with your hands frozen and it's so it's not always. Uh, I mean, you might not be touring at the time either. Mm. You might not be doing gigs. When you're not doing gigs, you're not as tight. You know, so it's when you go into the studio, it can be it depends on what form you're in. You like so I definitely would have needed a click track just to kind of keep everyone together and just to kind of make sure we were all kind of on point. You know, if you're queen and you're gigging every night. Yeah. Fair enough. You're yeah. you're tight as an ass arse, you know. With Freddie Mercury in front, I mean, yeah, you didn't really need nobody would have cared in terms of that yeah, you know yeah just that voice well that's just me though and the singer and all that so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so uh projects you're currently working on so if you want to talk about like turn it on i guess yeah um, um so turn it on came out of um myself and a friend of mine called mark willis mark willis runs uh blue stack records uh so he has been kind of um he was based in Donegal where he's from and he was he's been for years he's been releasing records by the likes of Pierce McLaughlin and um my mind's gonna blank now loads of others uh Biggles Flies Again and um loads of like really really great kind of independent mm. indie artists and um he moved to Sligo and we kind of met up I think he met Denise and Denise introduced us and we started chatting um, about just doing events in Sligo. <coughs> so myself, Denise, Mark and Mark's partner Yvonne, 
came up with the idea of doing this thing called Friday Night Social. Mm. Um, and it was about using the model as a kind of a space for people to come and gather after work um, that wasn't centered around the pub um, and that would have kind of like music and DJs and, you know, you could have a drink if you wanted, there'd be food there. So that that started up and like I'd done a bit of DJing before but never, and also I'd like to point out I'm not really a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there's DJs and there's button pushers, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a button pusher. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Kevin Noon is a DJ. <laughs> but uh, like, uh, so I really enjoyed, we all really enjoyed the kind of DJ inside of it. Um, and we, um, we decided to go to Paul in Furies, who was running Furies at the time. And uh, we went down to Paul and we said, because we weren't getting really any money to, to put the gigs on and we needed money to pay some of the artists that were mm. coming to play. So we went to Paul and we said, you know, maybe we could DJ here on the night of the Friday Night Social. So whenever the Friday Night Social was on, I think it was every month at the time, um, we could come in and like do some vinyl DJing. We could try and bring the crowd down. Yeah. Uh, and he was all on for that. And he enjoyed it so much it turned into a weekly thing. So that became its own thing in Furies. Mm. So that became vinyl culture okay, yeah. initially. And vinyl culture was an idea that a guy called Colin McKeown had because he wanted to do a night in Furies on uh, Culture Night. And vinyl culture was a great name for it. We did the, it was, I think it was like an all night, um, I think we went till about like four in the morning that night. <laughs> um, with lo loads of DJs, guest DJs coming up and it was centered around asking local people in Sligo what their favorite record was and and then people would vote on what was Sligo's favorite record mm. which turned out to be Live and Dangerous by Thin Lizzy which yeah. um, which Patrick from Fox Records Fair uh, chose so that so then Vinyl Culture became Turn It On mm. because that was a weekly gig and myself and Mark kind of saw the possibility to turn this into a bit of a kind of a DJ collective yeah. kind of vinyl appreciation night like we had people coming in that would bring their own records and we started doing gigs in other places and we started like doing parties for people and a couple of weddings. Yeah, so th that's kind of what Turn On became. Um, mostly grew out of a kind of a, a vinyl night, but was mostly about kind of just DJing and, and the love of music and getting people together to mm. kind of share their records and music. And So yeah, Turn On is, is, is kind of still going a little bit. I mean, it's, it's still there. Mm. We started doing like mixes as well online, like asking um, kind of local people as well, like local musicians to to give us a mix and, you know, like an hour long mix that we'd put up on our mix cloud, which was great. Mm. Um, really enjoyed that. Um, but it is very time consuming as well. So we probably haven't been as active um, recently as we should be. Also, we've also been kind of sidelined by another project called Rising Tide, which were um, kind of in the middle of it at the moment. So Rising Tide has come from myself and Mark for ages were, like would um, talk about putting gigs on in Sligo or the idea of putting gigs on in Sligo. A guy called Danny and his, his partner Edel, um, they run an, a record label called Art for Blind, um, which was originally based in Leeds, but they're back based in Sligo now for years. And Art for Blind also have been putting out 
amazing records by amazing bands for years and years. So myself, Mark and Danny got together. We kind of saw a, a, bit, a bit of a, oh, like for want of a better term, a gap in the market mm. for, yeah, yeah. For, um, for alternative gigs. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you go into Sligo any night of the week, you go in, there's, there's going to be a gig on. You, you throw a stone somewhere and you'll hit. Yeah. You'll hit a pub that's like, it's, it's, it's not for want of a lack of gigs in Sligo. But we did find that most of the gigs are covers gigs, folks gig, folk gigs, track gigs, even lots of jazz gigs, uh, thanks to Eddie Lee mostly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, all these incredible gigs that are happening, but we saw, we saw an opportunity to bring more kind of like indie and alternative bands down mm. to play as well. I guess like our short term kind of plan is to is to put on alternative gigs in Sligo that we would want to go see. Yeah. You know? so, like, you know, and and kind of get acts from um, Ireland, the UK to come play in venues in Sligo. Mm. Um, the long term goal, I suppose, is to kind of foster a scene in Sligo where, you know, more young bands will will um, will see these acts and be inspired and and go down the alternative route if that's what they're into, you know. Because yeah. um, there, there used to be a lot of that. There, there was. doesn't seem to be as much. Well, the 90s was a big time for like, yeah, I suppose. you know, <laughs> Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins. It was, it was all about guitars. Mm. You know, I mean, like, there's so many musicians in Sligo. There's so many scenes. You know, you got people like This Side Up and Bram and Hamo. And, mm. um, so like, I do say alternative but and, and indie, but like, we would still see that as a very broad term. Like, we're not going to just bring in guitar bands all the time. Yeah. We do see an opportunity there to kind of put on more alternative acts and to kind of show people if you want to just get up and make noise and just experiment. So the idea is to get these kind of bands down to Sligo and kind of broaden it out a little bit, maybe get some more electronic acts down and some, uh, as well as just the kind of punk and mm. you know, maybe get some like alternative kind of indie bands and folk bands down yeah. and, and just to kind of, um, I suppose, give give the opportunity for those artists as well to come down to Sligo. Exactly. I'd say it's pretty intimidating to come to Sligo and see the amount of music that's on every single week, every night, <coughs> and then hopefully be able to get a venue that people will come into. You know, I'd yeah. say it's pretty intimidating in terms of that. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it's a great opportunity for people to see. You know, that don't really travel out. Some people wouldn't go to Dublin to see a certain band, but it's great to see that you know if that if there is a, a new act that you've never heard of, come, yeah, then it's it's brilliant. Yeah, we had people come down from Galway and Letterkenny mm. to see Nod and Woven Skull, which was there, yeah, That's brilliant. It. You know, yeah. it was great. We can do more of that mm. and show that Sligo is is a venue that you can come to if you're on tour. Yeah. Um, then you know that's that's really what we want to do. Like you know, an Irish tour would like include Sligo. You know, oh yeah, these yeah. guys are doing a thing down here. Mates of ours played down there, and yeah, there so has been. I think there has been a lack of that, though. I think in the in the in the past couple of years, it doesn't seem to be as many bands. You see them touring, like obviously there's still there is bands still doing it, but mm. yeah, it's not as prevalent. I mean, when I I re well, of course, I'm always going to reminisce, but <laughs> you, I always remember bands coming in, like especially you mentioned like the wear. Yeah, place like that. I mean, you remember the Marbles and the Marbles, you the know, like they used to do and Watercress and gotcha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they, you know, they were doing tours all around, and I mean, it wasn't you know, it wasn't big venues in in terms of that. It was also if you go back even further, like I mean, if you go back to the eighties, 
Uh, Dexys Midnight Runners playing in the Baymounts, yeah. Eric Clapton, yeah, uh, Thin yeah. Lizzy, Chuck Berry. Yeah. There's a huge kind of history of mm. of um, international, really big, excellent international acts, you know. So, I mean, we're starting off small, but, but that's, yeah, you know, yeah. no, no, that's, <laughs> hopefully it will lead to something yeah. bigger, yeah. That's a great idea. No, no, it's, yeah. it's great. So. <laughs> and, and also, like, just like one of my main inspirations or one of my main things that I would look up to is, is the Sligo Jazz Project mm. every year. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, like the, the caliber of artists that they get to come to a small rural town in Ireland to teach uh, music and then to go out and play mm. with the students at night. And like, that's invaluable. You know, yeah. like Eddie Lee should be given like a sainthood or a, some kind of medal or something. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> him and Therese, like just like, I, I've done it now twice and it's like, Two of the best weeks of my life. Mm. You know, to get it's 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 possible acts of that caliber to Sligo. Yeah. So, what advice would you give a musician starting out in terms of recording, gigging? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, as you said, even about the jazz thing. I mean, that that's probably one bit of advice is go and tr- maybe try out some of those things in in relation to music generation in terms of any of the projects that are kind of going on. But like, what else? Like, would you? Um, First thing I would say is to musician of any age, any standard, is just go and do Sligo Jazz Project because it's just amazing. I guess, you know, just kind of commit to it. Mm. Like one of my main, um, like I don't have any regrets or anything, but I think if I was younger, if I was to go back, it's something I would do is I'd commit to it a bit more. I would I would take it a bit more seriously because I was clearly driven to do it. Yeah. To pick to pick up a pair of needles and, yeah. and bash out on a pillow for some reason, <laughs> um, I was clearly driven to do it, but never kind of made a career out of it. Never tried to kind of push myself to kind of make a career out of it and make kind of a career and to sustain me. Yeah, you know, commit to it. Like I mean, people are going to tell you have a safety net, and and you can do that as well. Just absolutely, you know, get a trade or or go to college. But like, if you concentrate on your music you'll just get better and better at it and the more chance you'll have of being successful at it. Mm. So just commit to it and, and don't be afraid when you're younger because I went back to college as a mature student when I was 24 or something like that, 23, 24. If I had spent seven, up to from the age of 17 to the age of 24 going 100% at music and mm. trying to make a real go of it, yeah. I would have known by the time I was 24 if it was going to work or not. Yeah. And sure. then I could have went back to college. Yeah. There's nothing stopping you from going back as a mature student or, mm. you know, if you really, really love music uh, and there is something inside that's driving you, that's making you passionate about it, just go at it 100%. Just try it. Don't be afraid to do it. Meet up with like-minded people. Get out there. Basically. Get out there, yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. What's the best advice given to you by another musician? Jeez, I don't know. By another musician. I've, I've probably had so many. <laughs> I just can't remember any honestly think of it like I'm trying to think of back when I was a kid the only bits of advice I used to get were get a trade uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a hobby and all that but you know um, so yeah so like but again like I mean like when I was when I was younger as I, I kind of fell into it mm. I, I wasn't really part of mu- the music scene I wasn't going to meet musicians that's probably why I don't remember any bits of advice <laughs> because I wasn't I wasn't getting out there I wasn't kind of you know but um I remember actually, just going back to Sligo Jazz actually, being taught by these musicians that are like at the top of their game, they're like cream of the crop mm-hmm. in the jazz world. Um, because they play jazz, you probably wouldn't know them by their name, but like 
there are multiple Grammy winners mm. there. They've played with legends. They've like you know, and I remember one time, the ensemble shooter I had the first year we did it was a guy called Jean Francois Prince, and he was this beautiful, tall Belgian man, immaculately dressed, <laughs> uh, um, and just like fringe and everything. We talk very smooth and. You know, he used to tell us about how he used to hang out with Chet Baker in Belgium when he was like 17, and we were just like, what? <laughs> he was also Toots Thielemann's guitar player. Um, oh, wow. But um, I, I remember, <laughs> it's not really musical advice, but it's a funny story. But I remember um, being in Fifth and Thielian and Pee Wee Ellis was playing. Mm-hmm. Who, again, one of my heroes, James Brown, Van Morrison, you know. Um, and there was a break halfway through the gig. And the SG, the, the Sligo Jazz Project All Stars had just played in the Hawkswell before mm. that, which was kind of like one of the last gigs of the week. And it was very emotional because all the tutors got up on stage and everyone was there, Eddie was there, and it was just like, you know, there was a feeling, it was my first time doing it. Uh, and there was a feeling that it was kind of all coming to an end. It was like, oh God, you know, this. <laughs> uh, so I. I Halfway through Pee Wee Ellis, I came out to get a drink and Jean-Francois was there talking to people and we said hello and we started to talk and uh, I said, you know, I really enjoyed the gig earlier, the, the All-Stars project. It was amazing. I was just like, it was really emotional. Like, you know, I was feeling that it was all coming to an end, blah, blah, blah. And he's kind of towering over me and he goes, um, you know, Simon, we are men and we love women, but it is okay to cry. <laughs> I'm just going to stand there going okay <laughs> I have sat in my living room with Dude Steelemans listening to music in the dark holding hands and crying <laughs> I was just standing there kind of almost crying yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of looked at him going what the hell if he was a girl I'd have kissed him it's like <laughs> so yeah the the advice I got there was it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. Yeah, that's brave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but I think, okay but it like it's I think it speaks a lot about about music and about you know the emotions that it stirs up inside you because, you know, some of my, I have a terrible memory when it comes to, like years ago, like, mm. uh, like, you know, if I try and remember certain things that we did as kids or yeah. that I did in school, forget about it. Mm. But I can. I can absolutely vividly remember the first time I heard Led Zeppelin 4 on tape and hearing that little guitar intro come in and Plant's voice and then that riff Mm. because the feeling was so visceral, Mm. so emotional. It's just like, it just hits you. It's like, bang. It's like, oh my God, it's like electricity running through you. You know, so like, I can totally remember anything to do with music, (laughs) anything involved with music or hearing something for the first time that blew my mind. You know, they're emotional experiences. Mm. They're very real emotional experiences. That's so. good. Yeah. Um, what's the one question you have to ask yourself as a musician? Hmm. I don't know if, like, I guess the one question I always ask myself as a musician is, am I good enough? Um, which isn't a bad question to have in your head mm. if it makes you get better. It's probably a bad question to have in your head if you're beating yourself over the head with it. Yeah. Um, but if you use it to get better, then, yeah, am I good enough? Mm. Or can I do this? It's probably a better one. Can I do this? Mm. You know, instead of saying to yourself, am I good enough? You know, can I do this? Well, let's try. Mm. And then, 
you know, you just stick at it until you can do it. It's good. <laughs> Everybody said that answer. About yeah, yeah, of course they have, <laughs> because it's the, it's the but, one yeah. question that's always in your head. Um, oh yeah, okay. What advice would you give a 15-year-old Simon, music-wise? <laughs> well, I think we did kind of cover that. Forget already. the trade, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay, we'll skip, we'll skip No cry. It's okay to cry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What album at the time did you have on constantly, though, when you were about 15? When I was about 15? Yeah. God, 15, I probably would have been in my metal phase when I was 15. So we're talking about Slayer, Rain and Blood. I'll just throw that one out. Mm -hmm. Metallica, Ride the Lightning, uh, Megadeth, uh, Peace Cells. Um, but always, I would have always gone back to Queen, yeah. Night at the Opera and Sheer Heart Attack. What one thing would you change if you could about music in general? Like whether in regards to the industry, equipment, um, what you think that is? I don't know. Um, you always hear horror stories about the industry, I suppose. Um, you never heard the good ones. Though. You never heard the good ones. That's true. <laughs> yeah. It's very true. Uh, they're not as funny or as interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never had many bad experiences with music myself. You know, like you have bands that don't succeed, and mm. but that's just part of it. Yeah. You know, just maybe maybe there's a reason we didn't succeed, and that's fine. Mm. I, I like I wouldn't be qualified enough to say what's wrong with the music industry. Everyone has their opinion on mm. that, and. Most people who have opinions on it aren't very knowledgeable enough yeah. about it because it's, I mean, it's a huge mm. beast of an industry. Um, I would like to see more kind of support for Irish acts in mainstream media though, which is tough. It's a tough thing to do because if you want to, and when I say like Irish acts, I mean, I suppose like Irish acts that are unique or different, I suppose, yeah. than, than what, you're, what you're already hearing on yeah. the radio. Um, I'm listening to the Blind Boy podcast at the moment and he addresses this as well. And yeah. his, like, you know, it's it's very, like, everyone complains about the fact that mainstream media doesn't play stuff that's unique, but there's such a small market in Ireland. There's such a, it's such a small country. Yeah. Uh, and they have to think about what people are going to listen to. Well, I guess know? it's, uh, money-wise, in terms of money, I mean, they have to make some kind of yeah. profit, yeah. which is unfortunate. But, I mean, that's, that is the music industry, you know. It is, yeah. You know, yeah. The big fish in the pond wouldn't be spending all all that money unless they were making a profit out of it. Yeah, well, you know, some kind of money out of it, you know. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, but at the same time, like, if if there was something, you know, if there was some kind of like fund that could be used to promote acts that were a little bit different and unique, mm. you know, you hear a lot of people all the time. I probably would have said this myself in the past. Not so much music is crap these days, but there's not a lot of it around, or there's not a great Irish acts around these days. But when you actually look and find them, you'll find that there's tons, there's loads, mm. there's so many great bands yeah. that just aren't being heard on the radio or in kind of mainstream media. You have to go looking for them. You have mm. to, you have to listen to people like maybe like you know Kino Quivine or Donald Dineen to kind of find out who they are, or find some kind of random blogs that, you know, promote this kind of thing. Yeah. So that's one thing I would change if it was just a little easier for for bands to get heard. That would be my main thing. <laughs> um, every episode, what I do is that I write down little bits and pieces that you've said. Okay. And um, that'll be the name of the actual episode. Okay. <laughs> so I picked out a couple, okay? Um, so number one is do that stuff. <laughs> number two is always in my head. Okay. Number three is click track. 
<laughs> number four is no regrets. And number five is knitting needles. And <laughs> one more. Number six, it's okay to cry. It's, oh, it has to be it's okay to cry. Okay. has to be that. So, it's okay to cry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Thanks very much, Simon. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks very much, Stephen. <laughs> All right. Thanks. <laughs>